Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. So we live in a distracted culture. We've got our phones. How many of you are tempted whenever you're talking to someone and just in a group of maybe three or four people and the conversation is going somewhere where you're not all that interested, so you're just tempted to reach into your pocket wherever your phone happens to be to pull that out so that you can do something that's more interesting. <laughs> At least that happens in my life, okay? So then we have TV, we have entertainment, we have different things we can do with food. There's all these things that we can do to distract us. We live in a very distracted culture. I know there have been times where I'm going into this certain room to do something, and as I go there, I see something else. I'm like, oh, I can do that. And by the time I get to the room, I thought, well, what did I come here to do? We're so easily distracted by other things around us. What's happening here? First and foremost, what I want you to hear and remember today as we look at the temptation of Jesus, that Jesus is there being tempted in the wilderness for how long? Forty days, okay? And so what that should remind us of is there was another time when all of God's people were in a wilderness. Do you know how long they were there? Forty years. So they were in in the wilderness for 40 years, and guess what they did? They failed miserably. And Jesus then, because the beautiful thing, if you could just, if you could grab onto this, it would be really helpful in your life. Jesus is all Israel or all of God's people reduced to one. And so Jesus went into the wilderness for those 40 days and Satan was tempting him and he succeeded where all Israel failed. Jesus lived your life for you perfectly. You've heard me say that to you a number of times. Just think on that for a moment. When you came, you came with your sins. You came and you confessed those sins earlier, right? So you know you fall short. If you've got no one here, if I always always bring this up, I'm sorry, but it's just one more time. Anybody here, would it be okay if I took your thoughts for the last week and put them on the screen? No one ever brings, you know, takes me up on that. No one wants that to happen. You know, thought, word, and deed, you haven't been what God said. How awesome then is it that Jesus came for the express purpose to save you. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That was his express purpose. There's a few other things I'll share in just a moment, but that's why he came. He came to live your life for you perfectly because you couldn't. He came to do what needed to be done. And so what's Satan doing here? He's trying to distract Jesus any way he can. He's trying to get get Jesus off course any way he possibly can so that no longer will it be about Jesus going as the spotless lamb to the cross to suffer and die and rise again so that you and I might have life everlasting and hope and joy even today. Satan did everything he could to do that. If you think about the purposes of Jesus, I want to read just a, a couple other things. One is from 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. It says this, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. You ever just delight in that truth? The devil's work was to bring you with him to hell forever, tempted. Destruction. Jesus did that for you. He came to fight against the devil. They're not equals. You 
know he's going to win that every single time. And Jesus the good news of what Jesus has done, does that ever just fill you with humility that God would do that for you and then confidence? Because this we do all now in Christ. You can raise your phone. Amen, right? Does that happen? You be filled with confidence and humility? I hope so. I hope so more than what I hope. Another thing it says in Scripture about what Jesus has come to do I read this before, before to you, but I want you to hear it one more time. It's in Romans chapter 8. It says this. For what the law was powerless to do, and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the Spirit. What that isn't saying is Jesus gives us another chance to get it all right. Because if Jesus gave you another chance, if today was the day, Jesus says, I'm going to give you a clean slate today. Now it's up to you. How would you do? See you next week. (laughs) Right back here with the confession of sin and a wonderful announcement of forgiveness. Right? Because thought, word, and deed. If I said clean slate today and we'll put your thoughts on the screen next week, still no one would take me up on it. And by the way, you are the beloved ones in whom God has placed his spirit living and working in you, right? That's who you are. Now, that's who you are should bring us to another thing that we just read or heard about in this Matthew 4 text. Satan comes and says, if you are the son of God. You know what that's doing? He's trying to get at his identity. His identity. Does Satan ever start to tear away at your identity? If you really are God's child, how could you fall to that temptation? If you really are God's child, how could you say that? How could you do that? How could you even think that thought? If God's spirit was living and working within you, how could you actually? And you know, when you think that, Satan only has, he has like two basic ploys. He does everything off of these. First is to, to uh, guilt you, to kind of bring you in and say, tempt you, here you go, here you go, here you go. You could do this, okay? And then he just kind of throws it at you and says, well, how could you be a Christian if you did that? And he does a lot of things off of those. But he wants to tempt and he wants to guilt. He wants to tempt. Has he been doing that to you this week? If you are God's certainly would have listened to you at some point. And he does that with you, right? You listen so long. (laughs) So we want to do, we even have good intention to, but we fail. And I think one thing the devil always likes to do is say, well, therefore, there's the proof that you are not. That's why we need to hear the scriptures again and again. We need to be reminded, and this is one of my favorite things, that 1 John chapter 5, verse 10, that this is the testimony God has given about his son. And if we don't believe the testimony God has made about his son, we are calling God a liar. But what is this testimony that God has given about his son? That God said when Jesus rose from the dead, he said, I'm now satisfied with what's happened. 
Therefore, what needed to be done for you to be right with me, Jesus has done. And so as I go through life saying, oh, no, no, I'm not really God's child. Oh, no, 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 I'm not really this new creation in Christ. No, 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 I'm not a saint of God. Could it be that Satan is trying to tempt me to this false humility to say, I'm not really this new creation? Because that's what they're calling God a liar. We tend to live what we believe, right? So if I think I'm just a sinner, if I'm just a sinner, guess what I'll probably do? Sin. Just sin. Because I'll give myself permission to sin or what? Or I'll work harder not to. Which happens all the time. So what would it be like if I believe the truth that I'm a sinner saint, I'm struggling, okay, but I know that who I really am in God's eyes is this new creation of God forgiven, righteous, holy, new, one with whom God is well pleased, who continually struggles with sin because that's also part of my sin. As Luther liked to say, we drown the old man in our baptism, but he's a good swimmer, so he comes back up every day. (laughs) No bass, but he has to struggle. All right, so the purpose that Jesus came for was to save us destroy the devil's work, to do what we couldn't do, and he's done that. Now, Satan did his best to get in the way, and he does the same for us. He tries to get in the way of our purpose. Now, what is our purpose? Now, you might throw a lot of different answers out there. I'm just going to give you a few that might be part of what we're trying to do. John 17, 3 is one of my favorite passages. It says that this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So eternal life is not only this duration. It goes all this time. But it's also the quality of life, that we know God. We know what he's like. He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. That's said over and over and over again in the Old Testament. Our God is gracious and merciful slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And he relents from sending calamity like in Jonah's day. And the words even from the prophet Joel to his people, he's always saying to you, in the season of Lent, repent, turn, experience the new life I have for you. Don't walk this way anymore. And we can do that because we know who he is his awesome character of love. What have we spent our days, what have we spent this Lenten season putting away a few of the distractions and saying, God, help me to know you more. Oh, and how would I do that? I'd look to see what gifts you have for me. I always remember at the seminary, whenever the professor would ask us a question, okay, he'd ask us a question, and we'd all look up, and he'd like, raise your hand, okay, <laughs> put the head down, look back into the Bible, see what's written, don't think the answers are up on the, on the screen or on the, on the board, they're in the Bible, we'll get to look at and see and to know who he is, 
another one might be the Great Commission, the Great Commandment. What's the Great Commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? That's the Great Commandment. What's the Great Commission? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Could that be our purpose? To know God, to love God, and love our neighbor, to go about making disciples so that so that they have the same hope and joy we have? Are you ever distracted from those things? where it says that we are to live reconciled. You've been reconciled to God, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and now we are going to be ambassadors of reconciliation so that we share with one another the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus, and then we can reconcile with one another. Could that be part of our purpose? Showing forth the world, the difference God makes in our lives as we heal things that other people aren't able to heal? Could it be that our job is to restore, like Galatians 6.1 says, that if anybody is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore them, Gently, could it be restoring them to be useful again in God's kingdom? Could that be part of your purpose? Could it be part of our purpose that whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do it all for the glory of God? There's a lot of things here. I'm reminded of the parable of the sower. There's the four different kinds of soil. There's the, the one where it just falls on the, on the path, on the word, what's written is just taken care of. And then there's some in the shallow ground where when the heat's turned on, when the heat's turned on, then they just wither and die. Just think on that for a moment. What, what would be the heat turned on? The heat turned on would be the suffering, right? The struggles that we have. The heat's being turned on. Like Romans 5, Romans 8, James 1, Hebrews 12, all tell us that we are to look at the sufferings that we go through differently. And when I go through my suffering, I want you to walk with me and help me see it differently. So we can reframe the situation. We can say, you know what? I can actually know that God is working to mature me through this difficulty. And he's given me hope as I look beyond myself and my circumstances. When I go visit the people in the hospital, when I go see you in your homes, sometimes what I'll do is I'll simply talk about, can we lift our eyes to see Jesus? In the middle of the temptation, in the middle of the circumstances, in the middle of all that goes wrong, in the middle of the heat of life, do we need to see Jesus more clearly? So oftentimes we do. And the third one is that weeds grow up. What are the weeds? iPhone 11. 57,000-inch screen TV. I walked by somebody's house, okay? And as I was walking by, they had their windows open, and the whole wall was one big TV. (laughs) Which is great, unless I'm watching TV for like 10 hours a day. Do you know of folks who watch the news from sunup to sundown? Can I just ask you this question? I can be totally judgmental and wrong here, which I probably am, but are they joyful? I don't believe you. I love you, but I don't know if I believe you. All right. 
So there's all these distractions that are keeping us from focusing in on who God is and what he's done for us and the joy that is ours in Jesus. As we think about those, there are three questions I'm asking people to constantly to think about. And those are, God, you are, dot, dot, dot. How would you answer that question? God, you are. And then whatever that answer is, take it to the next one. Therefore, in Christ, I am, which is a statement of who I am, being, not doing. So now I will dot, dot, dot. What if we did that over and over again? God, who are you? Who have you made me to be? So now I can do whatever. So now I can look at the temptations that Satan's throwing my way. And I don't have to look at my own strength. I look at you. All powerful God. So now I'm secure in you. So I can face the temptations that come from your strength, not my own. So we can carry out our purpose. And for this, I just want to read to you one little bit. This is from Greg Frinke, who's been here before. And as he's come, he shares a little story in his uh, Journey to Jesus, Show Me How. It goes like this. My dog is named Pippi, and she sits really well. Unfortunately, that's all Pippi does really well. It's not her fault. She's not a bad dog or a dumb dog. She's an undertrained dog. I should know because I accidentally undertrained her. I didn't do it on purpose. It's just that I didn't know how much I didn't know much about training dogs. I intended to train her to do more than come to me and sit. But the one thing was that we actually worked on is her coming to me and sitting. So that's what she does really well. I'm pretty sure she could have been trained to be a very good hunter and fetcher. I've seen the instincts in her as we are out for walks. I see her instincts for searching and finding. She has the instincts, but not the training. She is now nine years old. The other day, I threw a ball past her and said, fetch. She looked at me, a bit bewildered, as if to say, that was weird. (laughs) What is fetch? I really have no idea what you're talking about. She didn't get it. And why should she? I never trained her to know what fetch might mean or how to do it. On the other hand, she gets sit really well. And then he goes on to ask this question. In the churches, have we trained one another to come and sit? Really well. Have we trained each other to go and fetch? Not so well. And so my final thing for you today, as you think about your purpose, are his three words. Seek, recognize, and respond. What if we were about seeking the kingdom? So if we believe that God is on the move and he's working in front of us, he's already come to do everything that needed to be done for our salvation. Now he's working in our life and the lives of those around us so that we might say, gee, when I spend time with Jackson, I wonder what God's doing in his life. Seek the kingdom. What is he doing? And then when I see it, I want to recognize what he might be up to. He might be super sad. He might just have lost his job. Something else might have happened. He might be struggling in relationships. And then respond with what I can do. Pray. Serve. And again, like I like to share with you, sometimes people say the only, con- the only Christians they know are judgmental hypocrites, blah, blah, blah. Maybe what you could do sometimes is just have a great conversation when they know you're a Christian. They can say, well, at least I know Jackson isn't like that. There's one Christian I really like. Maybe we could do that. Seeking, recognizing, responding. Would you say those three words with me? Seek, recognizing, responding. And let's do that one last thing here. Let's seek the kingdom. 
Jesus, who was tempted but never fell, totally persecuted for all Israel and for you and me. Let's recognize what he has done so that we don't have to try and do to be good enough for God. We already are. How about we respond today with praise, with receiving the gifts and the sacraments, and with going and checking in.